we human beings can certainly fight about some stupid stuff. And we start so young. You're on my side of the couch. Move over. That's mine. I saw it first. And it doesn't stop in childhood. Even after we finish fighting over who gets the last cookie, we're still sparring over sports and pushing our politics and debating the data and arguing over actions. Now, that's not to say that there aren't a few battles that are actually worth fighting, like against taxation without representation in the 1700s, or ending slavery and preserving the Union in the 1800s, or stopping Japanese and German aggression in the 1900s, or, or fighting terrorism in our century. But most of the time, most of what we fight about is really not worth fighting about. And that's what Paul's point is today as he writes to his friends in Rome in this 14th chapter of Romans. In verse 1, he opens, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, that sounds reasonable. But what constitutes a disputable matter? <laughs> What's worth a fight? That's the rub, isn't it? And you wonder, okay, well, what was the problem that, that prompted Paul to write his friends in Rome? And he lists two of them. And they are whether or not to eat meat and which holidays to celebrate. Now, that sounds like life and death, doesn't it? No, not at all. Now, we might discuss among ourselves the pros and cons of various dietary choices, but would anybody leave the Messiah family because Father Tom likes barbecue? And I do. Of course not. And holidays, do you have to go to every event of Christmas and Holy Week? And even if you choose not to go to any of them, am I going to kick you out of the parish family? Or are you going to complain because the staff and the clergy are wasting all their time putting on all those silly services? Of course not. Diet and holidays are not hot topics. So how do we define a disputable matter? And, and when do we know when to fight? Well, the first rule of Fight Club is, don't talk about Fight Club. Oh, sorry, wrong movie. The first rule of fighting is, make sure it's worth something, make sure it's something worth fighting for or fighting against. When we disagree with someone, let's choose our battles wisely and not sweat the small stuff. If an issue is not the ditch we're willing to die in, let's discuss it. Let's debate it. We might even argue about it, but let's try not to call each other names or insult each other or demonize each other or kick anybody out or end the relationship and certainly not resort to violence. Instead, let's offer people acceptance without exception. Now, before you say, but what if they're wrong? Acceptance doesn't mean I accept their opinion or share your perspective or condone her actions or bless his choices. It means I accept you and everyone else as human beings created in God's image and worthy of respect. It means that I accept you and everyone else as someone with the same rights as I have. It means that I accept people the way I want to be accepted. And I accept them without exception. I don't accept everyone except, you know, those people, and you know who they are. 
white people, brown people, black people, yellow people, red people, rich people, poor people, police people, homeless people, teenagers, geezers, Democrats, Republicans. I accept them without exception. Let's offer people, all people, acceptance without exception and do what Paul writes. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. But once again, what's a disputable matter? Well, anything that has a genuine range of perspectives, biblically, historically, scientifically, and or culturally. Now, diet and holidays are perfect examples. There's all kinds of opinions and practices throughout the ages about diet and holidays in the Bible, in history, in science, and in culture, that diet and holidays are indisputably disputable matters. And what makes someone's faith weak? Well, if they disagree with me. Just kidding. Just kidding. If everybody, everybody thinks they're right, because if they didn't think they were right, they would think something else. So if somebody disagrees with you over a disputable matter, just chalk it up to their faith is weak. Now, don't tell them that, but you can think it. But as soon as you think it, then Paul's directions kick in. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters, which means learning to disagree without being disagreeable and letting you have your opinion without my quarreling with you or trying to change your mind because I respect your right to be wrong. Just like I hope you will respect my right to be wrong. Now, if something is an issue of salvation or justice or something that genuinely hurts people and is a ditch you're ready to die in, then take your stand and state your case and come out swinging. But if you go to the mat too often with too many complaints, it's not going to take long before people are going to label you a whiner or hard to get along with or unreasonable, and they're going to quit listening to anything you say, and they're going to roll your eyes and walk out of the room when you walk into it. So when we disagree with someone, before we ball up our fists and come out swinging, let's take a breath and, and a step backwards and, and look at the issue from several angles and ask ourselves, is this disputable or is this worth fighting about? Well, if it is, then go for it. But if it's not, let's accept the person without quarreling. Because as St. Paul says in verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master they stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. God is God, and we're not. Which means that all of those folks who see things differently from me, they belong to God, not me. They're His servants, not mine. And God is their master, not me. I don't have to fix them. That's God's job, not mine. Paul continues in verse 5. Each should be fully convinced in their own mind. Even if something is disputable, it might be important. And if it's important, let's think and pray and research, and talk, and listen to people who know more than we do so that we can make an informed decision that's reasonable and defendable. Let's be fully convinced in our own minds instead of doing stuff or believing stuff just because mama or the government or the media or even the church tells us to. For instance, 
there are two very disputable matters that all of us are dealing with right now. Our response to the COVID pandemic and who we're going to vote for this fall. No matter how convinced any of us are in our own minds about either of those subjects, both are completely disputable. With COVID, for six months now, we've all heard a wide range of scientific data about what's safe and what's not. The government restrictions and guidelines have changed repeatedly, and they vary from county to county, from state to state, from country to country. And the statistics are unclear about how many people have actually had the disease, how many people have died of the disease, how many people died with the disease, but really died of something else, and add to that the emotional trauma from isolation, financial trauma from layoffs and furloughs and failed businesses, and societal trauma from riots and looting in many cities, and with all that mishmash of numbers and science and politics, it's hard to discern what's accurate, what's best, and what, if anything, is safe. The front page of the Sentinel this morning shows this is this really is a something. It says six months, six months, half a year into the coronavirus pandemic, Central Florida continues to endure deep division, and it follows Highway 50 from the Gulf all the way to the Atlantic, and it goes from community to community to find the range of people and what they believe and what they think and what they think is really real and what they think is not real and what they're worried about and what they're not worried about. I'm not going to tell you what to do because I trust you. I trust you as grown-ups to prayerfully weigh the evidence, to look at the statistics, to consider the risk factors for your age and your health, and to make an informed and faithful decision about how to respond. And because I trust you to make a decision about your health, wise decision about your health. That's why we offer as much or as little physical contact as you wish when we worship in person and online. That's why at the peace, you're welcome to stay seated and wave at people and stay away from them or mill around and hug folks. That's why we offer communion here and at drive through. And this past week, we started mailing out communion to folks who are watching us on Sunday, but still don't feel like it's safe to come out to drive through communion. That's why I visit, folks, visit with you face to face when you're here and at drive through on Mondays. And, and I'm writing postcards to everybody in the parish to let you know I love you and to touch in with you. That's why I welcome you to wear a mask when you're here, but don't require one. Now, I know we have some folks who are not coming to in-person because we don't require masks. But we also have some folks who wouldn't come if we did require them. And I'm committed to accepting everyone without quarreling. So wearing a mask or not is your choice. In the election for president... Neither candidate is the monster the other one says he is or the savior his own party makes him out to be. Both of them have shady dealings in their past and questions about their moral and or mental fitness for the job. That's why we all need to pray and think and research 
and pray and listen to God and talk and listen to people we trust and pray some more until we are fully convinced in our own minds about the best response and then act and vote accordingly. Now, if you wear a mask and I don't, or I vote one way and you vote another, since those are disputable matters, it's entirely possible that the same Holy Spirit who is nudging me in my direction is nudging you in yours. So when we encounter folks who reach different conclusions from us, we don't have to agree with their conclusions, but let's accept them as people without quarreling because they answer to God, not us. Paul puts it like this in verse 7. None of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And since we and they belong to the Lord, that puts us all in God's family, which prompts Paul to ask in verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat him with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Even when we passionately disagree with someone and every fiber of our being is screaming, you're wrong, that doesn't give us permission to judge people or speculate about their motives or treat them with contempt. Because how we treat others with judgment and contempt or with mercy, grace, and acceptance especially about disputable matters. How we treat others is how God will treat us. Paul concludes in verse 12, So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Let's start practicing acceptance without exception now. First with each other, and then with everybody else in our life, so that when Jesus comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and it's our turn to stand before Him and give an account of what we did with our life and why, that He'll smile and say, I saw you, and you loved people. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You say, but what if I mess up and I don't accept people, or I still argue about stupid stuff? Well, you'll get another chance to make it right. There's always somebody in everybody's life who disagrees with them about some disputable matter. And if you do poorly this time, admit it, apologize, and try to do better next time. You say, but I keep doing the same stupid stuff over and over again. Will God still forgive me? Well, Peter asked Jesus today, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, not just seven times, but 70 times seven times. If God asks us mere humans to forgive other folks that often, imagine how often that He forgives us. Let's offer people acceptance without exception, because that's what God offers us.